I think you should do the intro this time. Oh, boy. Ready? Go. Uh, good evening, good morning, or good night, depending on where you are. Uh, and Welcome to the third episode of the Blank Buzz podcast. We're coming back from a month-long hiatus, and needless to say, a lot has happened since the beginning of <laughs> April. Um, a lot uh, not a lot at the same time. Uh, I am co-host Wesley Walsh, and this is my main host, Aaron McKell. Hi. <laughs> so, Wesley. Yes. <laughs> um, why did we go on a break for a month? Uh, because it's quarantine and it's incredibly difficult to find the energy to do anything. Yeah. Okay, good answer. You're you're a good politician. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So right now I'm sipping on this beer that I got yesterday, um, which I've never seen before, so I figured I would try it. Um, it's a two-hearted ale, and it has a picture of a fish on it, um, and it has notes of, you're going to love this, um, energizing pine and grapefruit. Because mm. I know you hate beer, and I know you hate grapefruit. Yeah. And I can't say I've ever enjoyed eating pine cones either. <laughs> um, so I actually wasn't sure how I would like this beer. It's an IPA, so I figured it can't be too horrible, even if it's bad. Um, and I actually really like it. Like, the grapefruit gives it this little bit of sweetness, and it's almost kind of refreshing. And... Mm. The pine just gives it this, like, woodsy flavor. It's very herbal, kind of like rosemary almost. Mmm, I think. I don't, are you being sarcastic? <laughs> I'm, I'm more, I'm playing along, but I'm not a pure connoisseur, so I have no real frame of reference. And I'm also having the second half of my... Cafe coconut milk latte from Starbucks. I have a mostly finished tall glass of New York tap water with ice. <laughs> this is very on brand for both of us. Yes. <laughs> so, this time around, I wanted to just kind of like talk and not plan a whole episode and do segments and stuff because I feel like there's just a lot to discuss um so I actually want to start on something that I've been dying to talk to you about since yesterday which is the mural mask the mural of masks I guess is what we're going to call it so yeah (laughs) (laughs) I say this yesterday (laughs) so so yesterday, so like at every day, uh, our governor in New York, Andrew Cuomo, does these briefings. A lot of people watch them. Like I, I I've looked on Twitter because it will give you like a view count of how many people have watched any particular video that's embedded. And most days it's like maybe three, four hundred thousand views. Um, I mean, it's a lot of people. Um, and I know a lot of states are doing stuff like this, but his are just getting like tons and tons of viewers. So from everywhere. Um, and I have been admittedly watching a lot of them just because I'm bored and I like to have some background. Um, not really noise, but I like to just listen to things in the background and, and it's interesting, um, Mm. a lot of the time. So, um, and I actually missed yesterday's, though. I, I haven't watched it for a couple of days. and But I saw, because um, there was a bunch of comments and Twitter sphere um, 
whatever gossip or whatever you want to call it discussion controversy on um was on, this was actually on Wednesday he pulled out a big mural of um hundreds of cloth masks i think they're all cloth but masks uh that people have donated from around the country um and he said quote that it was a self portrait of america and then he said, you know what that spells? It spells love. And I don't know if he meant it literally. I was trying to look on the quilt and see, like, does it spell love on the quilt? I don't think it does. But he was kind of alluding to it that way. Um, and a bunch of people basically were like, WTF. I, I don't think they meant for you to put the masks on a piece of, like, plywood or whatever or cork board or whatever like I think they wanted you to give them to doctors and hospitals who need them and and then other people were like I think because somebody chimed in from I don't know who this guy is but he's some he's somebody in the New York state government and he said that um all of the mural or all of the masks that were used in the mural were handmade cloth face masks and that apparently they have more than 7 million uh, face coverings from um, different companies that they're going to be distributing. Um, and so, like, basically, like, that they didn't need those. Mm-hmm. And and then a couple, some other people said it reminded them of, like, the AIDS quilt. And they really liked it and thought it was a really great sort of, like, timepiece and even something that will kind of live on. Um, you know, like in the history books, you know, or maybe yeah. in a museum at some point, well, you know. It's a bit like making the AIDS quilt well, out of condoms. Yeah. You know, making well, it out yeah. of something <laughs> exactly that could like be that. used more directly towards the issue that it's commemorating. Right. Well, uh, here's my qu- Well, my thoughts, because it's, I personally am kind of against it. Like when I first saw it, I was like, what? Like that seems so offensive. And the reason I think it's offensive, like, okay, like even if the AIDS quote was made out of condoms, we don't have a condom shortage. The condoms are fucking everywhere. No pun intended there, but they're everywhere. Um, It's not difficult to find condoms, but masks are in very short supply. I was reading the other day that I think 80% of doctors, nurses, and other hospital staff have reported a shortage of PPEs and other protective equipment. So my question is, is when 80% of hospitals don't have enough protective equipment, like we don't have, I think it's, it's so in, in poor taste to then take these masks and put them on a mural when, like, we actually have a shortage of supplies and people could probably use them. I don't know who this guy saying they have 7 million masks or whatever. I mean, that's not even really that much. The population in New York is more than 7 million. So if they're supposed to be having a new mask every day, you know, 7 million, how long does that last? Maybe, like, a couple weeks. So it, I feel like even that is maybe a little deceiving. And I don't know, I just wasn't, and and I also feel for, because the people who donated these masks, they didn't donate them so that they could be part of an an art display. Like, I'd be very upset if I went out of my way to make a mask and mail it, like, all the way to New York, because these are from all around the country, and I wanted you know, a doctor or somebody who needed it to be able to use it. And then I find out that the governor decided to make it part of an art gallery instead of donating it to a doctor. I I think I would be upset because it's like right. these people asked for it to go to a doctor. And you're when, when I, when out. I donate blood, I'm not expecting a handwritten thank you note written in my blood. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's so I kind of feel like it's disrespectful to the people who donated them. Like it, it, at the very least, I think they should have asked permission 
Um, and, you know, maybe because I understand maybe there were some concerns about sanitation. I don't know if you can mail a mask and then give it to I don't know, because I don't know if that's sterile and how, you know, I don't know. They probably can't do that for a lot of yeah. different reasons. I, I doubt so, that you can use them in a hospital. It, you know, they probably are useful for civilians who are just going about their day and trying to obstruct their faces. Um Absolutely. I mean, because even for me, like I, I, I have two um, of those, I don't know what you call them, but just those regular blue, like disposable masks that I've been using. And um, my mom, I think once her arm it recovers, it's, it's on the mend. Uh, my mom uh, broke her arm, by the way. And so once her arm is better, I think she's going to make me a mask. We we're talking about, I think she has some leopard cloth and she's going to make me one and then mail it to me um so but you know even for me i don't have a you know i i would like to have a reusable mask in you know we earlier we're talking about the homeless crisis and they don't have masks and you know so why are we not like you said you know even if they can't give it to a doctor or whatever um they could probably give it to someone so and i'm sure there's even ways they could probably sterilize it or you know figure something out with that um, if they wanted to do that before they gave it to people, if they wanted to spray it down with Lysol or something. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of feel like it's, I, I just think, I think the, I don't think the intention was bad. I do think the intention was good. Um, but I just think it wasn't, it, it just was a poor, in poor taste. I think they really should have thought that through more. And I, yeah, I'm not I'm not into it. And unfortunately, you know, they because the way that they made this mural was they hung the masks onto the board with like tacks. So now they're not even usable. So now they can't right. even say, oops, we made a mistake. Like, we're going to go distribute them and get rid of this mural um, because, you know, they put a hole in them. So now it's going to have to stay as a mural because they can't actually use them so what do you think because that's I was on the side of people who said it was offensive like I agree that it it just wasn't right and especially because people donated them and then come on you're hanging them on a I just think that's so disrespectful it wasn't even well done they just fucking (laughs) tacked them up like like this isn't like a Picasso I mean come on like why don't you commission an artist you know people who desperately need work right now (laughs) um to make something like you're just gonna hang them on a board and you know it's it's gonna be called art it's like even that like it's not even like they did something that was you know extremely well done and and thoughtful and again and I'm sure you know if they said hey we want to make this amazing art piece to like commemorate um all of the people who died or all of the doctors and people in service and you know so if you want to donate a mask to this art display you know here's where you can send it i guarantee people would do that 100 mm-hmm. percent, they would send in a mask to be part of the art display um right i mean people do things like that all the time so um so i don't understand if that's what you want to do i say you know do it well don't you know sort of um appropriate masks that were intended for actual use to make this like kindergarten art project you know if you want to do that like you know actually do it the right way yeah I, I'm, well i was kind of under the impression that kids did make it from looking at it but apparently not um it, <laughs> it's i think that maybe it would have been a good a good monument to this time if we made it two months from now or you know at when once we had a very clear uh supply line for these kinds of things that uh such that it wouldn't come across as an insult (laughs) um it it does kind of boggle my mind just as to how many people they would have had to talk to about this idea to get this idea greenlit and to move forward this, with this idea 
in that nobody had the thought that maybe this would be taken differently from how it was intended. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little silly. Uh, I don't quite have your vehement uh, hatred for uh, modern art, um, <laughs> but uh, overall I would say that this is a, a little tone deaf. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, like you, I think the timing was wrong and I, like I said, I don't know how they can even fix it now because now they already put the holes in the masks and I think it's too late to really fix it, but like, yeah, we're not, we're not fixing it. Yeah. Which is, you know, and that's also, it's a bummer because, you know, like there's no way they can really, uh, go back and amend things now. So I guess we're just going to have to live with it. Can't unfuck what's been fucked. <laughs> uh, um, in that same spirit, speaking of the state of New York, uh, have you heard about the canceled presidential primary? Yes. Um, so uh, between when we had our last uh, podcast, there was a presidential primary. And between then and now, uh, Bernie Sanders has dropped out. Uh, yes. It is Joe Biden is now the presumptive nominee. Um, and it is. Uh, that is what that is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. <clears throat> What was the question? Which basically, okay, New York was going to have a presidential right. primary, yes. like every state. Yes, they it's... decided. They said, well, because at first, um, because they talked about it on one of the briefings, they were like, we're gonna figure it out. I, they said that they thought they were gonna do like a an all mail in voting election. So they were gonna send everyone in the state who's registered to vote a letter asking if they would like to vote absentee, and then you know if you say it's a um, and it would be a postage. However, you say like the postage is paid for already and then you would just pop it back in the mail. And then if you said yes, they'll send you a ballot and then you send that back. Um, although that isn't stamped, I don't believe um, to, you know, then vote, which is how absentee voting works usually, except that you have to request an absentee ballot rather than they just send it to you automatically. So they were talking about doing that. And then I guess they scrapped that idea for whatever reason, maybe just logistically, it was going to be too difficult to print that many um, absentee ballots, whatever the case, they decided to scrap the presidential primary entirely. So they're just not hosting one now. Yeah, I think that it really would have been better to try to, you know, build up a system for um, voting by mail, uh, even if that meant delaying the primary, because honestly, I think that the primary would have that the primary, since it's effectively over, would have been a good test run for in case we have to do the election day in November with social distancing. Um, so uh, and even after there's a presumptive nominee, primaries do matter because if you are a disgruntled Bernie supporter or a disgruntled Warren supporter uh, or a disgruntled Mike Bloomberg supporter, voting for your candidate and hopefully getting them some delegates uh, does give them a certain amount of bargaining power at the convention. Uh, it gives them... Uh, it's, it helps them make a statement that the party's platform needs to represent their faction. And so, uh, it is still good if you are a Bernie supporter to vote for Bernie Sanders in order to, uh, <clears throat> promote, uh, your candidate's platform in order to make it clearer to, the Democratic Party that it needs to make concessions uh, in order yeah. to appeal to it, that wing of the party. Um, so I do think that 
the stakes are much lower, but primaries still do matter, and so I do oppose canceling them outright, um, even though it is understandable given the circumstances. Um, and if we can't figure out vote by mail now or next month or the month after, we're going to need to be able to figure it out if we have to do it in November. So, uh, right. <clears throat> we have to figure something out. Yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't really make sense to cancel an election in general. Right. Um, and I mean, even though obviously Bernie's dropped out, technically Biden still doesn't, he hasn't reached the delegate threshold. I think if he reached delegate threshold, I'd be like, all right, like, it'd be a little less important, but technically he still hasn't reached the threshold. So I think until that happens, you can't assume, I mean, we know it's sort of a bygone conclusion, obviously, but I think it's still, it's not really official yet. So, (laughs) you know, unless they're going to go rewrite the rules because of what's happening, which fine, I think if they want to do that, fine. Like, I mean, because, again, it's not – it's clear. I mean, there's no other conceivable second option because everyone has dropped out except, for, you know, one person. So, right. um, it, it, I don't know if it's voter suppression, but, yeah, a lot of the Bernie people were going crazy. And I, and I do think any sort of instance where you're going to create a potential for divisiveness within the party mm-hmm. is just really bad because it, it's just going to – it just keeps that – um sense of conflict going when the goal at this point forward is going to be uniting and also energizing people to go out and vote and especially like those people are the people that need to be convinced to still vote and to vote for biden um we already know from 2016 that a lot of that segment of voters either were just not showing up to the polls during the general election or they were voting for a third party candidate or some of them voted for Trump. So like, well, that's because Bernie Sanders has appealed to voters who, for whom typical democratic candidates do not appeal. Um, he right. has his, his kind of theory of the case has always been that he brings in a group of people who typically are third party or non-voters. Um, and that matters. That, that mattered a whole lot to uh, Donald Trump to beating Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton didn't really appeal to first time voters in the same way that Donald Trump was able to bring in a group of people who are disillusioned and uh, don't typically participate. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's when you can engage a population you haven't been able to engage before, it's always an opportunity. So by sort of angering them, it's not going to, it's just not going to, it's not a good investment. You know, you have to think about the investment you're making and it's not a good one. So, um, and there's a lot of Bernie supporters in New York, you know, like I know, um, that I think he'd have a little bit more traction than he's had in most other States. It probably would be a little more reminiscent to like a California kind of situation, um, even though I don't think he'd win New York by a long shot, but I think there's more, especially in the city, there's a lot more people that would vote for him. So, um, and then speaking of that, uh, what do you think about like how this is impacting the general election? I know a lot of people are freaking out and thinking they may delay it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody's even talked about that possibility um, in the actual government uh, or publicly from what I know, but I mean, they are talking about a second wave of the virus happening in the fall. So obviously, if that happens, then it's very likely that something will need to be done, whether that's an all vote by mail election, whether they delay it. I mean, God, I mean, we all or a multi-day election. Yeah, something will need to be different, obviously. So they'll need to organize. It's not going to be like any other election in history if that's, you know. Yeah. The process is going to change. So And the parameters are going to be a hell of a frustrating fight because the Republican Party has worked for 
decades to build up this narrative about voter fraud as a widespread issue. Um, and so they're definitely going to be taking whatever advantage they can get by accusing any uh, measure that increases access to the ballot of be of encouraging fraud, as has already happened right. with vote by mail. The president made those comments about, you know, uh, ballot harvesting uh, and uh, I think he said it was people, a disgrace. Right. Voting by mail is a disgrace. <laughs> and he Never voted by mail last year, by, by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, I but, mean, I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I do think, because vote by mail, like, is there a higher possibility of fraud? Like, sure. I mean, um, like, because, yeah, you're not watching somebody. Anytime you're not watching somebody actually cast their vote, like, yes, there's, um, there's obviously more opportunity for interception, but I think overall um, the chances of that happening and instances of that happening are going to be very small and probably would happen anyway, because there are people who um, like I was reading at some point, not recently, but at some point about because um, the weird thing about voter registration is that it's completely separate from like anything else that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like most things either go through like your, your, um, like tax status or like the information's gotten gathered from the IRS or your social security number, something like that. But the voter registration is like completely separate from all of that. Um, which it, like, for example, like for me, I, I'm an Ohio registered voter, even though I live in New York, um, you know, I've, I pay taxes in the state of New York, all of that stuff. Why is that? Because I registered as an Ohio voter when I first registered to vote and I've never changed it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you really, they can't really make you change it unless it's something like you get called for jury duty and you say you don't live there anymore. I think maybe in that case they make you change it. I don't even know if they do necessarily force you to do it in that case though. Um, it's it, pretty much you can vote um, you can keep your registration active in um, whatever state that you've lived in and would like to, you know, keep your active registration. Um, so it, it, even in that sense, like, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting how maybe in some ways it doesn't even necessarily, you know, represent truth because um, even I'm gaming the system a little bit technically, but that's the weird thing about it. So um, like there are a lot of cases of, it's like people dying and they're still registered to vote because I think unless you notify the board of elections, nobody has any clue that they've died again, because it's separate from like any other thing that you do. So, because like when you die, your social security number is like taken out of use, um, which so that you, nobody can steal it. Um, and obviously you're not paying taxes anymore if you're dead. So, um, but I don't think the voting, the elections, the the board of electors, elections, board of elections. Yeah. So I don't think they are part of that. So it, people um, like I, I was reading this piece about like, you know, a lot of times like they have a spouse who's died, like people will um, sort of vote, uh, you know, as their spouse who died. <laughs> Um, because they can, and you know, there's things like that. Although it's or, it's, you know, a, you it's still a, an incredibly small number. Um, of course, I yes, I was I was not yes, but it's still I'm saying uh, yes, there are things that happen. Um, as far as like voter fraud by mail and and things. Um, but people would do that anyway. I know I've been kind of rambling a little bit, but people would do it anyway, even if because we still vote by mail, even if we don't only vote by mail. That's still always right. an option. So. Um, it's not really like expanding anything that's not already there or any opportunities that aren't already there. So, um, like, what is your prediction on, like, do you think that they're the election? What do you think they're, what's going to happen? Or do you think it's going to be fine? Or do you think by that point they'll have kind of figured things out? There's been enough time Mm -hmm. and it'll, you know, there won't be any issue. I would predict, um, that there are I, I doubt that we would have an entirely by mail general election in November. Um, 
I suspect that we'll have some significant new uh, factor in how we vote, that there might be more an expansion of vote by mail, um, that, you know, you can, you can mix different options for voting in order to simply reduce the number of people who are going to in-person polling places. So that instead of having long lines at polling places where people are packed together, you create a situation where people can socially distance because enough people for whom it would be more convenient to vote by mail have been able to vote by mail. Um, Yeah. So I don't really want to be in the prediction business uh, right now. Uh, I love predictions. Yeah. um, All right. (laughs) I, I know. Don't like All right. I don't know why you I don't. don't. Like being I wrong, and I can't predict the future. Whatever. All it's right. One of my least so, favorite things about myself. It's one of my least favorite too. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Um, do you think that there's a chance that Trump will try to like exploit it and be like, I don't even know if he can, honestly. Um, but where he's going to try to delay the election? Uh, I think he's going to – I think it would – it'll be difficult for him to delay. Uh, he's going to definitely do what he did in 2016 and delegitimize. He's going to try and sow doubt in people's heads. Um, he's going to make things up. He's going to lie. Uh and especially if the outcome doesn't go his way, he's going to uh, behave very unbecomingly. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there is... I don't think that there is danger, like a credible threat of him doing that. Just, yeah. like, staying in power. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily even think he could. Um, okay. So, kind of speaking on that, though, obviously the election, um, campaign campaigning for the election is totally different. And it's not really happening at all right now because Trump is too busy having to deal with all these briefings and meetings and coronavirus stuff to really campaign. And... I think for Biden, you know, he's been doing some things like he held, obviously, a town hall the other day with Hillary Clinton. I think it was like a town hall about women and the coronavirus. And he's been doing some interviews and some virtual events and things like that. But other uh, overall, it's been pretty quiet mm-hmm. over f- from Biden. Um, obviously, there's not a whole lot like people are not paying attention even to that necessarily in the way they normally would. And I think talking about a lot of different issues that usually come up during an election are just not really that relevant right now. The only thing Mm. people are really talking about is like healthcare. (laughs) Um, So do you think, what do you think the impact of that is? A lot of people are saying it hurts Biden because his thing is kind of like, being with people and being able to kind of empathize with them. And he's such a people person that it's hard. And I think somebody his age who isn't super integrated into today's technology might not be able to sort of translate that over zoom um, or something to that effect. Like, what do you think the impact is as far as the actual, um, as far as campaigning goes and like the impact that it has or may have on Biden and then also on, on Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm of two minds about it. I agree with, I think that you make a good point that um, a remote campaign does not play to Biden's personal strengths that he is, he's best in a crowd talking to people directly uh, getting, you know, interacting with people in person. Um, And I think that's what energizes him the most. Uh, However, I also think that the current strategy of the campaign uh, is probably the best one because 
he doesn't need to be making big stunts to try and take over the news cycle um, because uh, there's just not much for him to gain right now. People are going to focus on the coronavirus stuff and he already has name recognition and people know who he is and what his general ideology is. So he, there's, there's no real need for him to kind of put his name out there at the moment. Uh, and the primary ended fairly early uh, as well. So uh, being uh, not drawing attention to himself, not trying to dunk on or one-up the president during this crisis is probably his best move. Um, and especially because, and this might be seem a little craven, he can kind of triangulate his criticism of the president's response after the fact um, that, you know, it'll be, it'll be easier in yeah, June. He can let him dig his own grave. Yeah. Right. It'll yeah. be easier in June or July to know what the big failures of the administration were and to hammer those points home. Uh, yeah. And for now, the president isn't isn't super inspiring people. He had a, a little approval bump <laughs> for, at the beginning of the crisis, and that sort of yeah, leveled yeah. out as people yeah. have started to remember uh, what kind of person he is um, as he uh, throws his political weight around to uh, force factory owners to open their meat packing plants and put their workers in danger to uh, pass legislation to ensure that workers in other industries don't have the right to stay home, uh, giving kind of uh, cover from uh, lawsuits to business owners who want to force their employees to come in um, and telling people to stick light bulbs in them and inject bleach and uh, every couple of weeks coming up with... There's actually been an increase in, in the number of calls to poison control since he said that with people saying that they have ingested bleach. Yeah. It's true. Because when presidents say things people listen they should file a class action lawsuit <laughs> yeah. um so and it's the same thing with the people who you know some people died because they ate fish tank cleaner um, right it's just a kind of it's a fact that he runs his mouth and people get hurt because that's how powerful the presidency is right yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to make a proposition to you, which was that because I think if there was ever an argument to go vegetarian, it would be because of the uh, Defense Production Act being used for the people who have to work at these meat plants. And I was going to ask you if meat that comes from animals, not plants. Wesley. Yes. No, I'm serious, though, because for those who don't know, well, I, I most of you probably don't know. So I am pretty much a vegetarian, sometimes vegan. I it's really hard for me to explain my diet to people, but I really believe in animal rights and also in conservation. And I also just don't like meat very much. So I eat pretty much only chicken and I have chicken maybe, and it's always like wings, and I have wings maybe like once a month or so on average. Um, but I have not eaten any meat actually since the virus, um, or since the pandemic started, I guess I should say. And 
So it's probably been like two months at this point. So I was going to ask you if that will inspire you enough. And and Wesley is like a huge meat and dairy and animal product consumer, mm-hmm. much to my dismay. So will you go vegetarian because you're going to help keep the workers safe? I'll give you my hamburger when you pry it from my cold dead hands. Wesley, it's <laughs> so offensive, but you're putting people in danger because if there's no demand, then they don't need to keep working. Uh, I, as an individual, am not going to reduce demand to the point that these people stop working. Um, and no, as an individual, what I am doing is I am voting for people who won't use the Defense Production Act to keep factories open at the expense of their workers. That's the power I can actually exercise that will have a result, that will have an effect on society at large. I'm having an effect, but thank you. Um, Shut up. (laughs) All right. So um, the other question I wanted to ask you is if you think, do you think the state of things, do you think that actually helps Biden just because Trump can, as you sort of said, can kind of dig his own grave with this and obviously isn't prepared? And I mean, I don't think any of us, could you imagine if a few months ago you told us like this is what was going to happen? I mean, thank God we do have biden as a nominee because can you imagine if we had somebody unknown like it would Mm -hmm. be then the democrats would really be in trouble but Mm -hmm. obviously didn't end up that way but um yeah so do you think it helps biden because it's kind of like you know people can kind of see trump floundering and you know he doesn't have to do that much work um or some people have said the opposite where they think it helps trump in the sense of trump is just more visible now Mm -hmm. because you know, obviously the president, people want to hear from the president. He has to hold briefings and keep people updated on what's going on since they're supposed to be leading the efforts to stop the virus. Although obviously that's questionable, but right. yeah. Uh, I think it's hard to say, but um, it's probably both. Uh we know that the president does kind of give these gifts to the Biden campaign every so often, like that great soundbite he gave uh, closer to the beginning of this whole debacle, um, where he said, I don't take responsibility at all, uh, which I thought was just a great little line to give to his opponents. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's going to collect sound bites and that'll be good for Biden. Um, but uh, Trump is also uh, pursuing the strategy of setting expectations as low as possible. Because, um, you know, at, early on, he said, if only a few hundred thousand people die, that's a win for us. Right. And that's setting expectations. That's that's saying our goal is that this catastrophe not eclipse the civil war. Uh, yeah. And if he can keep expectations low, then that might be somewhat good for him. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. It's but hard to I, say. It's yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, as far as uh, going back to some local issues, so uh, Cuomo's catching a little bit of heat again. Um, I thought the love gov was untouchable for a while, but I think he's um, starting to meet some what I would say is fair criticism. We already talked about the the quilt or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mural. Um, so essentially for just mismanagement, because... There were there were a bunch to make a long story short, there were a bunch of facilities put into place in case they needed um, a a lot of additional hospital beds and things like that. Um, Javits Center was converted into a hospital. Basically, they only ended up using about a thousand of the twenty five hundred beds that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, also we have the comfort, they spent money setting up some other makeshift hospitals and essentially uh, a few hundred million dollars were kind of spent and then, you know, nothing, we didn't need it turns out. 
Um, also, there was an order placed, a uh, $69 million order placed for ventilators, and the and uh, the ventilators never came. I don't know exactly what happened there, but um, never we never got the supplies that they spent $69 million on. Mm-hmm. So some people are saying that he is... And, and, you know, now they're claiming, oh, we're running out of money. We're going to be in this deficit. You know, we're, we're going to be short 15. You know, our projections say we're going to be short 15 percent on our state budget in the next five years from what we projected, blah, 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 blah. Um, so do you think that that's fair? Because now he's said he has addressed it because um, he's been asked about it at the briefings. And he has said that. Essentially, all of their efforts were based on projections from the CDC, from the White House task force. It was all based on their numbers. So they were preparing, you know, to meet those numbers. And turns out the projections were wrong. And he sort of credits himself kind of by saying, like, um, you know, because New Yorkers took action and we flattened the curve, you know, it turns out that, you know, the you know, we didn't end up meeting the projection. We ended up undershooting it. Um, you know, so kind of like it's a good thing because we didn't end up needing all the capacity that it was projected because, uh, you know, people did what they were supposed to do kind of a thing. Right. And because, you know, because I told them to do it and I'm an influential figure. <laughs> so what do you think, though? Um, yeah. I, I think these are disaster expenditures in a time of extreme uncertainty. Uh, so... Uh, <sighs> The I'm not totally read up on the ventilator issue. It seems like there was a a manufacturer who made a promise that they couldn't fulfill or something. Um, yeah, I think that that's essentially what happened. And yeah, there's a th- luckily uh, we've uh, undershot what were our ex what were our worst expectations. Um, and <clears throat> I, I think that six months from now, people are not going to say, uh, oh, why did we spend all that money? They're going to say, we thought that the world was coming to an end and it was averted. Uh, so I really... I, I doubt that the fact that we spent money during a disaster is going to be uh, a big point of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I feel like it's not for nothing. Like, I mean, right. your job is to be a manager. I mean, that's your job. So, I mean, mismanaging hundreds of millions of dollars, it, it has, it does, it, it's not without consequence, especially because, this is taxpayer money we're talking about. So, but that's also because um, federal policy has been to leave states kind of to themselves. There hasn't been there there hasn't been nearly the level of federal organization of the response, no, which has led to all sorts of things a, where we we had states bidding against each other for ventilators uh, because this was there this was seen as a local issue rather than a federal issue. Well, and they just didn't really have a stockpile. So they were like, oh, you know, we didn't have a stockpile. Why don't you have your own stockpile? Right. Even though but the that fed- doesn't make sense. federal government could but, still have been organizing these. Yeah, stuff. but I think the, the question is, okay, so because he, like, Cuomo had to make these decisions on his own. So mm-hmm. he made the decisions, were they good ones, I think, is the, it's like, that's the, that's the question. Given what we knew at the time, given the statistics coming out of the CDC, given what we were seeing in Italy, uh, I don't think that we can really uh, harp on that too much with hindsight. Yeah. By the way, I was reading a story that essentially the the epidemiologists um, have determined that the outbreak in New York is because of Europe, like people Mm -hmm. traveling to and from Europe. And not China. Right. Uh, well, I mean, we're very far from China here. Um, so about as far away as you can get. So um, uh, I'm so I'm so freaked out that literally I almost had a roommate 
that was from Italy. I mean, don't you think she brought the virus into my apartment? <laughs> I feel like it's been here. Um, well, you didn't get sick. If anything, I brought no. the virus. Yeah, I could have had a case and been, uh, you know, uh, I had a horrible upper respiratory infection in early December. Um, and it's an open question how early the virus got to New York, um, considering you, that... You're also around people that are from South Korea, though. Right. You are, so, because of your job. Look, I'm just saying there's a small chance I was patient <laughs> zero, in which case, my bad. You probably were, honestly. That would be insane. I wonder if they'll call right. you up and be like, right? Oh, my God. Um, if you had actually been patient zero, I, I would have, like, died of... Feel- because you know that they, like, you, you lose your rights and they'll take you and, like, isolate you, like, for real? Uh-huh. In a hospital or something? Yeah. I'm not kidding. <laughs> well, I would have been patient zero in New York. I I wasn't in Wuhan. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Uh, um, that's fair. Also, one more thing I wanted to ask you about, which is, um, so, I don't know if you know that Governor Cuomo is single, you looking to uh no looking to get your name on his list no thank you (laughs) um so he was so it's interesting because he was married to i don't know exactly who but um i don't think anybody like who's publicly notable but uh his he has three daughters so their mom he was married to for about 15 years and then he was um Living with, just never married, um, to Sandra Lee. You know the chef, Sandra Lee? I know a Sarah Lee. Okay, now. Um, Sandra, um, so she, they were dating for 14 years. There's something with him and, and like, the 15-year itch. I'm like, what is that? Um, and then they, last year, broke up, um, and now he's single and he actually has recently contacted a matchmaker and is looking to really become the love gov. Mm. <laughs> you didn't laugh. I did. I laughed oh. once. Okay. Um, that's a chuckle. Yes. So, and you chuckled again. So, yeah, what do you uh, what do you think about that? Do you think he's like the most eligible bachelor in New York right now? Uh, there seem, there seem to be him. enough people that are weirdly horny for him. Yeah, uh, well, that's like the love gov. That's like what people call right. him now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really get that. I mean, he's a powerful kind of man who's very charismatic and whatever but i don't think he's that handsome or anything i don't know he's too he's too liberal for me i think no that's your problem yeah and his brother's crazy so so i'm Mm -hmm. like he must be a little bit crazy they grew up in the same household Mm -hmm. you're not laughing yeah i (laughs) (laughs) Is that is that we're playing the governor crush game? Yeah. Hmm. Um. Well, I guarantee he's gonna at least, you know, be getting a lot of phone numbers, a lot of pictures. I'm sure there's probably quite a few women who would be interested at this point. Yeah. Pe- people have been. I think people have gone a little stir crazy and they've developed crushes on all of the COVID uh, celebrities. There's definitely, I've, I've been seeing a lot for Anthony Fauci. Um, a little Ew. for Gavin Newsom. What, you to Anthony Fauci? He's short. But he, he's, have you seen he's him? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> okay, but have you seen photos of him when he's young? He's got a good okay. jawline. He's smart. He's, not He's a doctor. Young, though. He's got a deep voice. I, I don't know why I wouldn't you Fauci. He's short. Sure. 
like his young photos look like Jeff Goldblum. He's like he could get it. Yeah. Um. Wow. President Trump's new press secretary is really hot. Why did they always have female press secretaries? Um, I think he sees a job with the title secretary, and he just assumes that that's what he's supposed to do. Lastly, um, no, he has, in all seriousness, no, in the job, I've read many books about this. Within the Trump organization, is actually very gender egalitarian. Mm-hmm. I know you don't believe it, but it's true. And if you think about it, they haven't had any major, like, sexual harassment suits. I mean, come on. They haven't had any Me Too stories from the Trump administration. Or, I'm sorry, the Trump organization. I mean, besides the, like, 20 or so against the president himself? No, but, okay, we're talking about workplace. That's different. Uh, I'm saying within... This this is just a strange point. No, no, no. I'm just saying because there's other people who work at the Trump organization. Is there not... So yeah, I, I personally can't name any harassment cases that have come out, but that doesn't mean there's that other they companies. It doesn't. But OK. Anyway, um, her name is Kaylee McHenry. Did you see? Yeah. Do you think she's hot? I, it's, she's not really your type, though. She's. Yeah, she's the Fox News. Yeah. Type. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What was the other thing I was going to ask you about? Um, so Kim Jong-un's health. So I read something earlier that, I don't know, apparently he's alive, but he's not doing well. Well, he, there... his issues are alcohol related. And apparently Trump knows something, but he won't tell anybody for some reason. Or he says that he knows something and won't tell anybody. Mm, he's, yeah. he's like a child. Um, there a couple hours ago. North Korean state media released some photos of him at an event opening a fertilizer plant uh, from today, supposedly. Oh. Um, so Good. I haven't I haven't looked at the pixels, but at the very least, there's there's him in front of a big banner that says May first on it. So mm-hmm. do with that what you will. Um, they could have photoshopped it. They could have. I'm hoping they have. It would be... I mean, they do a lot of shit like that, probably, so I wouldn't be that surprised if they were like, oh, we need to, you know, stop inciting panic or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, So, it's beginning to look like he's not dead, which, you know, better better luck next time. Yeah. All right. Um... I'm trying to think if there's anything else to talk about. Is there anything else that you wanted to discuss? Uh, we covered quite a bit. Um, uh, along with the meatpacking uh, issue, I also wanted to bring up uh, the uh, that Congress is uh, considering this um, uh, <clears throat> the the uh, Sorry. Um, it's okay. Kind of, yeah. Um. You're just such a perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. There's this this pattern of disregarding the safety of workers. That OSHA has no enforceable um, guidelines for workplaces. Um, mm-hmm. That the Republicans are really, uh, especially on the local level, pushing to reopen as quickly as possible, uh, especially reopening uh, businesses, uh, some of which uh, are like manufacturing businesses where people can't really work six feet apart. And there were all these takes coming out of the the conservative sphere about, well, we just need to close down the lunchrooms and keep people at their workstations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no lunches, mm. no breaks. That's the solution. Um, so uh, what do you think? Do you think that, uh, do you think that workers are eager enough 
to get back to work that they'll uh, overlook these motive issues? Or do you think that they're going to be uh, a little offended at the blatant disregard with which their lives are treated? That's a bit of a leading question. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I think it depends. I think for people who really need the money, they're going to go back to work. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, people in lower paying industries don't have as much of a choice as other folks who might have savings or might um, not necessarily need their job. Um, You know, I, I, I feel like there's a saying, I don't know what it is, but something about like, you have to be like, like being principled requires like being rich enough or something where it's like, you know, a lot of people, it's like, you don't have a choice if you want to, um, act in mm-hmm. some way or be protesting and, you know, demanding, um, better conditions and, um, you know, like you, you can't afford to go on strike kind of a thing. Um, Right. Like I remember, yeah, like the, the people, um, the people with the least power, the people who uh, can't, who, who will have the least opportunity to advocate for themselves or right. to advocate for what they think is right. Exactly. So, oh. I mean, I think that like some of that might be happening, but I think the industry is even where it's the most prevalent. Um, I think people are, I think on one hand, people are too dependent. And I think on the other, they could easily find new workers because so many people are out of work right now. So if it was like, all right, like you guys are not going to cooperate, like the meat plants, for instance, Mm -hmm. like, great, we're just going to, you know, find other people who will. (laughs) And I think there's enough of other people who will that I I don't think either way it's going to be a problem. I don't think, um, I think the employer's are in control as far right. as that it's goes. It's not a problem for the employers. It's a problem for the people who have to make a choice between their lives and their livelihoods. Yeah. So, like, do I think so? I do think more people maybe than a normal strike or something of that nature would probably make that decision. But overall, no, I don't see it happening, like, across industries or I don't see, like, a second wave of the labor movement happening from this. It'd be great if I was wrong, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I do think people are kind of desperate to get back to work. Like, that's the thing about America is, like, everybody here is so, we've talked about this, like, everybody here is so work-focused and, like, we define ourselves. We talked about this on this podcast about, right. you know, because, like, me feeling like I was feeling, like, kind of confused and, like, it's weird to not have a job because that's how we you like function in america and in american culture that's like our caste system kind of so i think like a lot of people not being able to work and work kind of changing i think has caused this like identity crisis in a way and i think a lot of people i mean i've been seeing it on instagram and all kinds of things of people just you know they're going crazy you know they are bored they um are maybe losing money they're unoccupied and i think people don't know what to do with their time if they're not working so i think even there's enough of people are just going to be so like stir crazy that i think a lot of them are going to be excited to go back to work (laughs) (laughs) so and even you know i think even on a more negative end there's Um, Because there's been a big increase in, like, domestic violence and child abuse cases and stuff because people are home all the time. So people in those kind of situations, I think, are going to be, you know, running out of their houses (laughs) when this is over and would probably, you know, gladly um, go to their job instead of having to be home. So, um yeah, I don't think it's going to lead to any kind of a lasting change. Um, and I think people are fickle. Like, I think, you know, mm. now 
he's like, we're going to stick to our guns. But then, you know, as soon as, as soon as it's like, we're allowed to go back to, um, to Marshall's and to go and eat at a restaurant, people are going to be like, yay, you know, and and forget about all of the principles. (laughs) At least I will. (laughs) (laughs) So, was there any other stories or questions? Um, I think you, you covered... Uh, pretty much what I was interested in talking about. So, uh, I think I'm good on my end. Okay. And I will. Ha- I, w- I just want to note that you were you were skeptical as to if this format would work out, and I knew it was, and I knew it would. Mm. Yes. You were so you, were so you like, want if- you want me you want me on, <laughs> on recording saying you were right. Uh, obviously. Okay, you were right. <laughs> Thanks, I was. <laughs> um, yeah, because this was kind of an unformatted episode, so I don't know. I think I, I I like the format though, so I don't know. I don't know if like maybe sometimes we'll do unformatted, sometimes we won't. Um, Keep them on their toes. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. All right. On that note, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, liberalism, just the concept. I think it's uh, it's very good. What is that book that you always plug? Oh, um, Progress and Poverty <laughs> by Henry George. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah. Forget about that. <laughs> Are you going to plug your Twitter or no? Are you feeling yes, shy? Yes, uh, my Twitter is at Indiana Walsh. I haven't tweeted about politics in like a week. It's just um, new Spinosaurus information and news about uh, potential uh, new Transformers movie. Uh, so, but I do sometimes tweet about politics as well. <laughs> All right. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Aaron McCall. And of course, you can check out Blank Buzz at, at Blank Buzz on Instagram and Twitter, and also at blankbuzz.com. And of course, make sure to rate and review the podcast, subscribe. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, but also on Spotify and Stitcher and a bunch of other places. So make sure to subscribe, and uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week as long as my mood allows (laughs) and uh thanks everyone for tuning in and remember to wear a mask even though i hate masks wash your hands even though i hate hands